In this episode, I talk with David Edward about the lost civilization of Atlantis. David is an author, researcher, former Army intelligence, and was part of the team that arrested Manuel Noriega. He holds three master's degrees and a Ph.D. in engineering, owns two companies, and has written over 40 books, both fiction and nonfiction. Those who know anything about Atlantis know it's a mystery and there's a ton of misinformation about it. For me, there are two fundamental questions that I want answered. Did it really exist and what happened to it? Dave's latest book, Atlantis Found, The Final Definitive Proof, attempts to answer these questions and is the basis for our conversation. I hope you enjoy this topic and thanks for listening. Pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm really excited to hear about what you have to say about Atlantis. Um, as I said in the in the pre-recording, I'm a little bit on the fence about it. I'm, I'm not 100% a believer, but I'm not 100% skeptical either. I think there's um, I, I think there's a really good reason to uh, have conversations about Atlantis, whether it's real or not. Uh, and I want to kind of get into that with you a little bit as well. Well, you know, and that and it's interesting. Um, you know, the the name of your channel, Dead Hand. You know, obviously, you you picked it for a very specific reason, and, and there's a whole history to it. Uh, with Atlantis, it's kind of the same thing. And what's going on right now with Atlantis is about three weeks ago, uh, a documentary series came out on Netflix uh, by this guy Graham Hancock, who's kind of the the main voice in the in the ancient history alternate ancient history space not ancient alien space but the uh there was something that went on before space and um it's being met with uh it, it's being very well received on one side but on the other side like there was a newspaper article i think like in the new york times or something that said this was the most dangerous show on tv how could it be allowed to have aired so i mean and it's just, and it's all it's doing, all he does is he just basically says, you know, there might be more, history might be older than we think. And here's all the things that make me suspect that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, culturally, a lot of people like it. I love it. Um, but it's almost becoming political, if that's well, even possible. I, so I, I've heard the arguments of why conversations like that can become dangerous and, and really it, it kind of, it kind of breaks down to the, the basic argument that if everything was human created, if, if all of these natural ecosystems were created or, or um, influenced by humans, then it's okay to demolish them and use them for our own means. That's what the argument is. Oh, I've, and, I've never, I've never heard that argument. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know whether it has weight or not, I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a good argument, but I don't know if it's, if it's actually true or not. 
Yeah, I, look, I I don't know. I, I've not I've not heard it. So I'm trying to I'm trying to process that um, as we sit here and talk. I mean, for me, when I look at kind of the history that we've been taught, and then you just go with your eyes and you just look into the world, it doesn't it doesn't all line up. And it seems like you, you we, we can look pretty easily across different ancient locations and we can see things all over the world that look kind of the same ish, mm-hmm. not exactly the same. But but you know it'd be like it'd be like if if all the carts were on the right hand side of the road we have, we haven't found that but I mean it's you know it's that kind of stuff and the building techniques and all of that and it just seems like that they would be developed nineteen or twenty seven times independently exactly the same all at the same time it doesn't feel like the right answer it might be the right answer uh, but it doesn't feel like the right answer so I think that's where anyone that digs into this themselves they start to discover that what they were taught in school maybe isn't exactly right. There's an example I use. There's this guy, uh, Francis Orania. He was um, a uh, explorer. He's one of the first Westerners to traverse the Amazon River. Um, he went, and this is like, this is like in um, uh, 14, 1542, something like that. So like 50 years or so after Columbus. Um, and he, he traversed the whole river and he came back with a report that it was amazing. There was, you know, advanced civilizations and all this stuff. And they didn't manage to get back for like 100 years. When they, and when they got back, it was all jungle. So history books for 500 years have slandered this guy and said he was making it all up. In the past five years with LIDAR, we found all the stuff that he claims was there. Um, and that's the, I think that's like the, the perfect example. So the mainstream historical view for 500 years said this guy lied and went back to, just to get money uh, to Europe uh, when it turns out he was telling the truth the whole time. So he was ruined. Um, and his legacy was ruined. But now we know he was he, he was true, and it took it took five hundred years, and it took lidar um, for us to find that. And I think that's rampant everywhere. Yeah, I, when when you were talking about um, the uh, his discoveries of advanced civilizations, it just made me realize that there's a there's kind of a misunderstanding about the term advanced civilization. Yeah. And yep. can you can, can you explain that as a uh, you know bring it out to a realistic term for people to understand yeah so when when that word advanced is used and 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 let's talk about it with with atlantis so let me just set up so atlantis comes from this guy named plato and it's a history that i've traced all the way back so i can you can get back to about 600 or 6000 bce was it was destroyed in 9600 bce um and plato tells us the atlanteans were advanced in a couple ways he says they were very good with agriculture and and he a lot of the dialogue is just talking about how, how their agricultural prowess and stuff like that. The fact they can grow stuff and 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 being good at agriculture in 9600 BCE or anciently, it, it's basically the understanding that there's a crop cycle, the ability to uh, uh, impact the flow of water. Right? That's what it all comes down to is to be able to do that that engineering and which which involves moving Earth, you know, generally. But so the Atlanteans were advanced at that. And he and according to Plato, he liked the way they had organized themselves. They had they had what he thought was a very simple but you know good organizing structure. When we use that word "advanced," just generally to to refer to this um, civilization that we think we can see fingerprints of back in the past, usually the 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 technology level that they seem to be at is maybe where classical Athens was, or maybe classical Rome. Um, although Rome is might be a little might, Rome might be a little much, um, but they, they, they're organized. There is a society. They're um, they're they're able to specialize, which is a big deal. So you can have someone who just makes shoes. You can have someone who just cooks meals. You can have someone who hunts. You can have someone who farms. All the things we do 
to have a society. They, they clearly had a, a ruling structure. They clearly had laws. So for 11,000 years ago, that's incredibly advanced. But, yes. but that's what advanced means. It doesn't mean uh, nuclear submarines or UFOs or death ray crystals. Um, now, I don't, those things might have existed. I have no idea. There's nothing, I, not, not, none of the research I've done has come across them. And I pretty much start with Plato. I start and end with Plato. Um, and he doesn't mention them. Oh, he mentions some kooky things, but he doesn't mention nuclear submarines. Yeah. And where, where it really loses context is that people are comparing advanced to today's technology. Yeah. Not to 11,000 years ago. Yeah. The one thing, the one interesting thing about advanced is it seems like when, when we look at whatever these cultures were, uh, they, they do seem to have been around. They, they seem to put a lot of thought into what they did. And, and so they went down a road that seems very different than our road. It, it seems more like instead of technology and electricity and that kind of stuff, it seems like they're much more in tune with uh, the harmony of things, with how the earth worked, um, the ability to move things that we think are heavy don't, doesn't seem to have been as hard for them with, with, with um, different tools, you know, that kind of stuff, which is what we seem to aspire to, right? We, 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 we desperately want to be in harmony with um, the world. And that, which is another reason why I find the resistance to what we're finding when we look back in the ancient past, it seems to be exactly where we want to go. So why, why do we ignore it? It's just, you know, and, and it's full of, it, the whole space is full of these weird contradictions and this weird resistance that you're constantly up against. I want to get into a lot of that. Um, okay. First, I want to go back to a little bit and dig in a little bit deeper to your, I'm still going to call it a theory. Um, That's fine. Your, That's fine. your theory kind of hinges on the idea that Plato's uh, writings about Atlantis were factual. It more than hinges on it. You know, one of the things that's important. So I use I use a modern scientific methodology when when I when I, in my book and in all the research that I do. And when you do that, one of the important things is to identify any assumptions you have. And so actually, I created a new YouTube channel it's called A History of, and I'm I'm going I'm creating videos that outline this. Um, but uh, um, what was the what was the point? I lost your lost your was, hypothesis based on yeah. uh, Plato's so, writings being real. yeah. So I went through and it's like I and I, I try to have conversations with people, and one of the first places I found where there'd be a disconnect is some people would just think the whole idea was made up or it was it, it was too ancient, and it didn't matter what I said or what I found or what I pointed to in writings because it was it it couldn't be real no matter what. So I put as the first assumption to to my work is I assume that the parts of the platonic dialogues that Plato tells us are true, are true. That, that's an assumption. Um, and that way, so what we're really doing, which is what we're really but, doing but, again. But you also present a pretty um, compelling case that what he was writing is true. Can you ex explain yeah, that? Well, I, and, well, that's, I, you did a real good job on your channel, and I want to encourage people to to go to your, uh, to your oh, YouTube have, channel. Have you check seen out that? those videos? Yeah. Right. Yeah, good. That yeah, yeah. I mean, you you spell it out in a couple of short paragraphs, and it's really like it's hard to argue once you have learned what you you know the way you put it. It's hard to argue that Plato's writings were factual. I, I know, well, based on, which, which, based which, frust which frustrates some people. Some people get very frustrated the way sure, I've done it. Sure. But this is the only way to do it. If, I, if you want to prove something, you got to lay it all out. And and you know, we say don't don't disagree with my conclusion. Let's look at all the evidence led led up to it. And when you do that, people are, they, they get exhausted because it does kind of suggest it's true. Here's basically the the premise: if we if we're going to assume it's true, 
Then we're going to do the analysis. And all the way at the end, we can look back and we can say, you know what? Like 98% of, of the physical things we could measure out of what he tells us about Atlantis, we have found. Uh -huh. Therefore, our assumption that it was true has held. So it is true. That, that's part of the work I'm doing in those videos and stuff that you're talking about. Now, now I know the end of the story. I, I mean, I've done all the work, so I know it all lines up. Um, and I think, you know, people like Occam's Razor a lot, which um, is just, you know, get all the noise out of the way and that whatever the simplest solution is, is probably the right solution. I watched this guy, The Critical Drinker. You ever heard of The Critical Drinker on YouTube? No, no. no he's, he's, he's uh, I don't know how to describe him, um, but he had, his, so the drinker's uh, razor is that when presented with multiple options, people will always choose the stupidest one, which I think, which I, I then apply to the criticism that I get because I listen to the criticism and there are some very legitimate things that, that we could discuss and criticize, but I tend to get, what, what, what I tend to get instead is the superficial criticism that if, if any, you know, if, if we were having a real conversation, we would have, we would have worked past. So I think all those things come into play. And, and when you, when you do that, when, when you do treat these two dialogues, Critias and Timius, when you, when, when you treat the parts he says are true, because he, he, in the dialogues, the characters say, I believe this is true. You know, like, they're, they're, and which Plato never does. He's just the opposite. Mostly in his dialogues, what they do is they say, you know, imagine if, imagine there was a cave, you know, imagine this, imagine that. But when we get to Atlantis, it's like, no, no, this is true. And all the characters agreed to believe it, you know. So, so I've started with that. Yeah. And, and it lines up pretty good. And th there's all kinds of, um, measurements the first one which is in and of itself a, a miracle is the date that we get from the platonic dialogues because he tells us That's this important. guy it, it, it well it's important and it it's it, it if he was just randomly picking a date to have picked this one so he basically this guy solon went to the temple of neith at sais sais was the egyptian capital in plato's time it's in the nile delta it's on the western side of the nile delta this temple temple of neith it had been around since before the first um dynasty so it's what they call pre-dynastic uh the first dynasty in egypt was like 2900 bce and what really denotes the dynasty egypt was around before that but that's pretty much when they started writing stuff down so that's kind of where the historians have said okay well that be, you know that that that's the line we're going to use um but it goes all the way back to uh i can trace it all the way back to 6000 um BCE. Now you know what? This is the second time I Andrew, I forgot what I'm talking about again. I've got to do okay, a better so, job. Yeah. So you were you were talking about Solon. He went to Egypt. Oh, the date, the date, the date. Yeah. So and the the priests tell him that um that this is their ancient history and it happened nine thousand years before they're explaining it to him. So you had nine thousand and six hundred. You get ninety six hundred BCE, which is a miraculous date because it is the end of the last ice age. It's the end of what they call um the younger Dryas event. Um, and it's the end of the Younger Dryas event. We know the Earth's temperature rose so somewhere between two days and like six months or a year. It rose like 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, which is insane. So we were in an ice age, and then all of a sudden something happens, and all the ice just starts massively melting. So we know there were earthquakes. We know we lost uh, – the, the sea levels rose 400 feet, um, which now – People have said, well, if you're standing on the beach and it's raising 400 feet over six months, you know, I'm not going to get surprised by that. And it's like, yeah, but the earth might because you've got all that weight, you know, where the ice is. And that's now that weight is shifting out, you know, to the, the rest of the planet, the oceans and stuff. And then we know that the plates, the tectonic plates and stuff shift. So when that weight shifts, the, the water weight shifts, you know, it'd be, uh, if a plate shifts, you get tsunamis um, and you do lose pretty quickly the coasts. Mm -hmm. um, so. That that date, and that's the date we get from the dialogue. And 
it turns out there were three dryases. I had to look up. I didn't know what a dryas was. A dryas, it turns out, is a flowering plant that does really well in cold weather and higher elevations. So what happens is when they go and they dig through the strata, they see how far down, back they are in time, see how far down they dug. They see how many of these plants they see, and then they can kind of figure out what's going on with the Earth's temperature. Mm -hmm. um, but for him just to pick that date out of, out of air, how could, how could he know? How, how could they have known? So I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, the other piece of information that's just absolutely mind-blowing and, and resets how you think about what was going on is I mentioned that the um, that this guy Solon went to this temp the Temple of Neith at Saïs. That's where the Atlantean history was stored. It was chiseled into the, the walls. It was physically chiseled into the walls of this temple. And we know where this temple is. We know where Saïs is. Um, the temple is gone, um, but we you know the ruin the ruins are there. Um, and, and just uh, just for context, how how long before Plato wrote about it did Solon go to Egypt? So Solon went in 600 BCE. He took a bunch of notes. He says he took a bunch of notes. And then when he went back to Greece, uh, he kept the notes. He was actually going to write like an epic uh, poem, like the Iliad or the Odyssey or a play or something. But he never he never did that. Um, then those notes got passed down in his family. So he had a son who I think his son's name was uh, no he had a brother whose brother's name was Dryopides. Who had a son named Critias? Who had a son? Who had a son named Critias? Who had a son? Who had a son named Critias? So we get we get these successive Critiases, um, and then one of the one of the dialogues is called uh, Critias. The other is called Timius, and there's a Critias in both dialogues. But when you when you weed through it all, um, the Critias in speaking in the Critias dialogue is this guy called Critias the grandfather, and he had Solon's notes and he studied them. He says he says as much. Um, so yes, it's passed down through time. But it's not like a it's not like that like a phone tag game where you know you, you, it starts off as Peter bought a can of Coke and when it comes back around it's you know something completely different. Um, we know that uh, we have the 9600 date from Plato. We know that the uh, cult of Neith formed about 6000 BCE. We know that at some point the temple was built and by 3000 BCE before the first dynasty, it existed. In fact, it was a medical school, very famous place. And it was, it was a repository for all this knowledge. We know that the um, uh, history was written in stone. We know Solon went at 600 BCE and recorded it. Uh, then we know Krantor studied it. He told it to Plato. And then after Plato, so when, when Plato died, what Plato's really famous for in his time is he created the first uh, university called the Academy. When he died, there were two guys up for the job of, um, of taking over running it. One was Aristotle, who we all know, very famous and a very brilliant man. The other was a guy named Krantor. And I don't know the politics of it, but Krantor got the job. So Aristotle kind of pouted off and he went up to Macedonia and he became the mentor for Alexander the Great, did all kinds of great things, brilliant guy. This guy Krantor was so enthralled with the Atlantean story that he went back to the temple at Sa'it and he verified the data and the translations and everything. Mm -hmm. so, so we know that whatever is in the Platonic dialogues is at, at a minimum what was on the walls of the temple, which we know physically date back to about 3000 BCE. We, we know the Neith cult um, goes back to 6000 BCE. And then we're starting to get back into the realm of Atlantis, which is 9600 BCE. So in that, you've established this really strong... Uh, case of uh chain of custody yeah from from where this where where plato got his information and it was actually verified that that information is is real and um and then there's some cross verification that you've done uh, um 
based on what Plato has written and what you've found. We'll get into that in, a, in just a minute because that's really interesting too. Before we go any further on your hypothesis uh, or your, your... It's hypothesis. Fine. That, that's fine. That's fine. Hypothesis. Uh, okay. Fine. Your your examination of this. Um, my, my, my literal truth. Oh, yeah, sorry. exactly. So whether, whether it's a myth or fiction, mm-hmm. it's still, a, I think it's a really important topic for, uh, for people to talk about. Um, in, in your opinion, because I, I know you've been asked a question uh, probably a hundred times, what got you interested in, in um, Atlantis? But I want to put that question, I want to wrap that question in, in a little bit of a different way. So why is it important to so many humans, to so many people, to, to examine the idea of Atlantis? Why is that so important to so many people? I think, and I think this is, I, I, I would have had a very different answer five years ago because my, my life experience would have been different. Because, you know, we've all just lived through the past three years where we got a chance to see that the world might not be exactly that the... Um, it, 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 as presented to us, to say it, you know, it turns out, well, as people, what we're very good at, one of the things we're very good at is identifying patterns. And we have this built-in logical mechanism when we see these patterns. And almost instantly, even without thinking about it, it it's handed to us by the time we're consciously thinking. Our, our instinct is something is, it, it fits or it doesn't fit. I've got a painting in my house when I come in the front door and it's like, it's like an abstract painting. It's like, you know, literally someone just took a brush and they just, they, they, I see different things. Like I see robots and I see a bull and I see a spaceship. I see, you know, and, and I see different things and I don't know why I see them, but they're already there by the time I look. So then when you take that to what we learn in school and then once we get out of school, when we start looking at the world for ourselves, like I, I think I opened with this, it just doesn't line up it, that whatever this mechanism is that we have, it, it doesn't line up to what we're be, being told about ourselves, about our, our past. And I think many of us, not everyone feels it. Some people um, are very comfortable uh, snuggling into the, the current view and, and proclaiming any question of it is ridiculous. And it is things are only as they know, you know, but that's not the majority of people. That That's the minority of people. And I think it's just we're all just like and, and then we start to think, OK, if. Our instincts are that there's more there. Why are we being told there isn't? And why is there so why is there so much energy around squelching people asking questions? Mm-hmm. And then and then people get interested. And then the other side of it could be really cool, right? A whole other civilization of people. What they do? What they think? What, what were their stories? You know, I'm you know. So I mean, it's intriguing. These are a lot of the questions that that uh, came to my mind when I started looking into it. Um, which, by the way. I was never really interested in Atlantis. I, to to me, it was I, I had pretty much written it off. Okay. You know, I I had seen some documentaries about you know if it existed and stuff, and a lot of the the documentaries <clears throat> put Atlantis in a way different location than what what you uh, say say that it it is, and we'll get into that. Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of documentaries have travel budgets where pretty good looking people get to scuba dive a lot too. Yeah, so yeah. you know, we we can we can try and figure out why they're looking in those places. Every I mean, see, my my own understanding of Atlantis was it was it was a, a city, state, and possibly a continent in the middle of the Atlantic and it sank. That was my understanding of it. That's pretty rudimentary, I admit. 
but I didn't really look past that because, uh, you know, the literature, the documentaries, everything points to it's, it's, you know, don't even bother looking past that because it's not even real. That's what the majority of the, the, um, academic papers say. Which is amazing. If you've seen some of the early videos I've done, when you, when you dig into it at all, it's, it's so obviously based on real history. That doesn't mean that history is right. You know, just because the people, these people believe this was their history, we're not anointing it as true, but we're going to start with the assumption that they're not blowing smoke up our dress or whatever you want to use. Um, and, and, and you're right. If you, if you put your pinky toe into the Atlantis pool, the very first thing that happens is all the piranhas pop their heads up and try and encourage you to not do it, to go somewhere else. Don't think about it. Don't look here. There's nothing to see. And and look somewhere else. And that's weird. Why would they, why do they care so much whether we look, it's just weird. And look, I've gotten messages, man. I've gotten, um, I don't know. I used to say they were death threats. I, that, that's overstating it a little bit. It, they're, they're very mean messages to suggest if I weren't around, life would be better for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, you know, Atlantis, some people believe, well, I had one guy, he called me and this is, I had my, I used to have my phone number on the website cause it was a, a company site. Um, and he said, why are you doing this? I'm like, what, you know, what, who, what, huh? And he said, you know, he, he, he had done a regression and he, in a past life, he was an Atlantean. Matter of fact, he was the assistant scientist that was running the power crystal. Um, when it all, when all went crazy and he was trying to warn them, but you know, and he, he's like, you know, he's like, this is what it was. And you're saying something different. It's like, why are you taking this away from me? And I, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm like, I, you know, I mean, you just, you know, you just stumble through the conversation. It's like, but he, and he took the and he took the time to call me and I'm not even a name. I mean, I'm barely anybody in this space right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just it's crazy the, the the what you have to push against to have an opinion that's not it, it's baloney. Since since we're talking about that, I was, I was going to get to that a little bit later, but uh, um, let's talk about that right now. What what pushback have you gotten from the academic community? I mean, for, like personally, no, yeah. rather than just you know, academics saying that Atlantis is a, is a fiction, you yeah. know, and this is everything we know about it. But have you personally experienced any kind of pushback? Quite, quite a bit, quite a bit. Okay. Now, remember, I'm not, I'm not a academic professional. I, I, I've been, I was president of a university. I know that world. I've, I've been in it. I'm not currently in it, so I don't have a reputation that um, that uh, I'm too worried about. Um, but I, when I first started putting this together, I went to, like, I went to a, a geochemist that I know. Um, I, I worked a channel and I got to the, uh, the Dean of Philosophy at Yale University. Um, I had a physical um, anthropologist from King's College in London. And I sent them pieces of information, like the, the lady, the Yale person was an expert on Plato. And, you know, so, and, I, and, I, and I was corresponding with them all. With, and, miraculous wonderful conversations like the geochemist i'm showing them some some uh aerial photos of where i think you know some of this place was and they're telling me all kinds of stuff they're telling me the ground was covered in evaporites you know it's a weird grid pattern all, you know all this stuff and then as the more we got into it i started asking questions well do you think this could be like farming technology from you know like 9600 and they started to pick up on those elements and every single one stopped returning my phone calls or like the geochemist um, she was just like, no, I don't know. No, can't be. No, no. If it was any of that, they would have already found it. She's like, no, nah, that would put modern farmers just, you know, it's just so three different people all stepped away. Um, 
you know, because of it. I didn't even, I didn't even say Atlantis to him. I just started to push, you know, I, I think they, they, they get, they have a sense though, when you start to go for a particular time period. I think um, that is, I think that is more, more, you know, a lot of people would, would speculate that that is, there's like some kind of conspiracy. Like these, these people are um, told to, to squash any ideas that go outside of their little bubble. But I, I think it's more of a case of human nature that if you if you challenge somebody's paradigm, they're by nature going to push back because if you break that paradigm, then they're lost and they don't know what to do. Well, that, and that's a good point, and that's interesting because when you when when you're having what feel like honest conversations with people that are kind of skeptical, a lot of what they'll say is, "Well, yeah, no, it, it, if it were real, you know." mainstream academics, whatever that means, mainstream, you know, it, it, we, we, we would all accept it. And I try and tell them, I said, you know, I've, I've, first off, the funding, all this academic funding, it's not like there's a bunch of people in white rooms and wearing clean clothes and uh, they're going to go seek truth. I mean, all of this funding comes from someone who's looking for a particular output. So that right. absolutely influences yeah. what's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, they, money talks. Definitely. Well, money talks, but then if 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 you're an accomplished um historian let's say and you've been teaching for 20 years and maybe you figured something you figured out that the greeks like to use left-handed widgets for some you know whatever your thing was and then all of a sudden all, what you're saying is not only challenged but there's evidence that you've been completely wrong in in, in your entire career what but you're the established one. What are you going to do? Are you going to protect yourself and keep your living and your reputation and all the things you like? You know, or are you going to go? Yeah, you know what? Right? Oh my lord! I really, I really screw this one up. I'm, you know, I'm going to step aside. You take my chair. You're just not going to do it. It's just not human nature. Yeah. And that's what we're up against. Which is, we have people who get paid for waking up, who are anointed as the keepers of knowledge. And it, if if that knowledge changes, then they're no longer the anointed keeper. Someone else is. Simple as that. And, and the tragedy of that is that um, new knowledge coming along gets suppressed for for decades, possibly centuries. You know, it eventually comes out. In my opinion, all all knowledge comes out in the end, but that that knowledge can be suppressed for a long, long time. I I think that's right. I think it's what we see. And then the challenges with history is you know with with some of the other sciences and engineering a new idea does have to kind of ripple through everything because you're talking about you know physical objects or how we interact with things or how we build stuff but with history a new idea like if, if all of a sudden it was accepted that atlantis was real 9600 was real 9600 bc was real it changes everything it's not it's not a slow ripple it changes everything yeah. now i think what it does is it provides us a platform to stand on to look even farther back that that's why i think it's important because right now that's about as far back as we see um, and, but i think there's a whole world beyond that well there, there's obviously because if 9600 bce is the end of atlantis then where did it begin right you know you really got to go back and ask that question and yeah. um that's one of the listener questions that I had. Do you have any idea what the answer to that might be? No, I am. So, I mean, my approach, I am lit. What I did is I um, took the platonic dialogues and I re I read them. In fact, I had them on um, uh, audio and I just played it for like three months in the car. It's all I did was listen to them all. You know, so I just, I knew them. I, I learned them uh, front to back. I did the research. I got into it. I, I, I found that it was reasonable to assume that Plato 
is, is giving us real history. And then I'm trying to prove that he's giving us real history. So I'm in a very narrow lane, you know, mm-hmm. now once I get that proven, I can start looking around, but I'm still working on, you know, on that piece of it. Well, I think you've done a, a pretty good job of presenting your case. Have you independently, uh, confirmed any of that has has anybody else looked at this and and said yeah this is right um well i've got a guy i work with david stig hansen um and he actually he was just there i i, I think this thing is in west africa we even got to where i think i think it's this rishat structure thing um and he was there for the entire month of october and i worked with him um picking places to go and finding things to look at, but they get pictures of, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think, you know, that, that physical part of it is important. Um, but so are, are you, have you, the, so the, from the big, from the beginning, the, the first part of your argument that Plato is, is, you know, his writings are, are factual. Uh, have you submitted that to anybody for, um, for overview or review? No, you'd still play kind of like peer review. Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. Do you plan on doing that? Um, what I'm doing is I'm opening the information up to the public. Like I'm on Reddit a lot. And, and with these videos, I'm putting the ideas out there because I do want these ideas vetted. But I'm not really interested in going into an academic environment where they have a, they, where their goal would be to discredit me or my work because it saves them. So instead, I'm, I'm throwing it out there to people like me. And I've got, I mean, I've had lots of course corrections based on the feedback I'm getting, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot like having it peer reviewed because, you know, you get, you get all kinds of things. Um, but I, and I think that's more, I think that's a better way to do it. I think it's better to open this up to the public and then go through a, a Q&A process where you, you listen and, and adapt, but, but hold to your course as long as that course remains valid. Right. Um, I've tried, I've, I've had papers that have been submitted for peer review and I've, I've been a peer review. In fact, I was the editor for the academic journal of the university, Aspen University in like 2009 or 10 or something like that. It was, so I mean, I know that process top to bottom. Uh, I think that process is very good for specific things that can be tested. I think big ideas like this, it's not, I'm not even sure what you would submit to who and and who the expert would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When I was uh, preparing for this interview, I, I did come across a couple of papers I didn't read them. I just looked at what the summary of, of those papers were. The majority of them were that Atlantis didn't exist. So I think you're right. You'd be, you would be um, submitting yeah. it to a, 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 a an audience with a predetermined outcome. Right. Well, and like one of the, like I, I'm up against this argument all the time. They say, well, Plato made it up. And so, I mean, if you've seen any of the videos or done it, seen the works, like, well, hold on, oh, wait, he, he, let's talk. Why do you think that? You know, and we try and talk through it. And, it, and it's not a real conversation. They just decide it. Well, you know, it was it passed down for thousands of years. You know, they could have said anything, that kind of stuff. And that's what, when you go, when you take your foot, the other problem with the academic world or something like this, this is a big idea. They don't do well with big ideas. They all specialize. Right. Right. So you've got someone who is an expert in the soil and composite topology of West African mineral refinement from 1850 to 1937. How's that going to help me with it? You know what I mean? And, and that's, and that's all. And even you go back in the past. Matter of fact, I, I took, I, I've taken, I, I purposely put myself there. I've taken graduate courses on this. I took a graduate course on, you know, classical Greek history and stuff. And I knew way more than the instructor. They, 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 you know, these guys, they teach five classes with 50 kids each and the, the curriculum's kind of handed to them. They don't know. So who, who is it you would go to is the other problem. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And 
putting it to the the court of public appeals, I guess, is is what you're doing. Yeah, that's the way and to do it. Uh, you know, and find some collaboration within a community that's already been doing the work. Well, look, I mean, like, is it the, the only danger I can see with that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. the only danger I could see with that is where you get into the, the you, you fall into the trap of um, ha having an echo chamber where where you throw ideas out there and and other people say, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking too, and then you you know you may be going down a blind alley and neither one of you uh, can really see what's on the other side of it. Yeah, the big the. That doesn't happen too much in the Atlantis space because the mindset is that Atlantis is a is a single place, even though I, I argue that it's actually we're told it's 10 places in the dialogues. But so like right now, the big war in Atlantis land is between people that think it's the Azores and people think it's the Rishat structure mm -hmm. and they hate each other. They're, 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 oh, that's weird. I, no, I that's know. So and, yeah, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> we're constantly undermining each other and criticizing each other, and you know, poo poo and all that stuff. And, and the but, important thing is the truth, not whether you're right or wrong. It's right, the truth, right? And but get but to my, the truth, right? My point. And there's like there's like ten. Actually, there's like twelve legitimate places that people are passionate about thinking we're Atlantis. And so, if you think it's one, you've got you know eleven different points of view that are going to attack you mm -hmm. um and, but which which is good you know it, which which i think which i think is good for example there was a guy on reddit i argued with a lot and i, and I still think he's an idiot um <laughs> but he kept telling me atlantis was malta and i kept saying dude it's not malta that's stupid it's this little island that's inside the you know da, 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 da. and now i'm going through all my videos i'm like okay people think it's malta let me do the research because i'm gonna you know do my own research and I'm like okay it's it's not malta based on what i know about plato but oh my lord, Malta is a crazy place, man. I mean, they've got so many ancient. They, for a long time, they thought the oldest uh, constructions in the world, the oldest man-made constructions in the world, were on this little island, which is in the Mediterranean, just south of Sicily, in Italy. Um, but it's got. It, I don't know if you know Malta. It has um, over 150 locations where there are wagon tracks that are are worked into the bedrock, not just oh, yeah. dirt. And they're they're thousands and thousands of years old. I didn't and know no, that was Malta, but I, I knew there was a place that had that's, that. That's Malta. Okay. And and they can't figure out exactly where they're going. And and a lot of them just lead off into the sea. Yeah. <laughs> just go into the water. So when I'm doing my research, I'm like, one of the things I do is I have a flood map, and then I, I take a location and I lower the water 400 feet because that's what it supposedly was the last ice age. And everywhere I go, it's not that big a deal. I mean, Florida is kind of a big deal, but I haven't got to that analysis yet. But like I said, I'm doing Malta, so I lower the, the Mediterranean 400 feet. Oh, my Lord, Malta completely changes. It's no longer a little island. It is um, a big, like, peninsula-hooked landmass connected to Sicily, and it wow. becomes like this big place. Hmm. Um, and then there's islands. I, I can't. I don't know how to say it. It's like F-I-R... L A N. I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it's like. It starts with an F, and it's to the south, and it's like sticks out there. It's maybe I don't know. It's maybe a couple miles to the south. When you look at the flood map, that would have been a peak, like a mountain peak, and a lot of these cart paths head in that direction. So you know, I mean, so I think what we've got there is ruts from when the sea level was lower, and the only time the sea level was lower was at the end of the last ice age which was 9600 BC, which is when Plato tells us Atlantis was destroyed. <laughs> you know, so in the question, you know, and this is going off the topic of Atlantis, more or less, but um, the, but the question I have about that is those ruts are like three or four feet deep. In some cases. In, not in all, some, in places, some places, yeah. Places, so, yeah. so that means that those, 
if if those were made by carts, uh, you know, carried by you know donkeys or whatever, that would have had to be centuries to be able to dig those ruts, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, a tremendous amount of time. The other thing they don't find by those ruts is the classic um, beast of burden tracks in front or to the side or anything. So they clearly see the ruts, but it's not like they can and then point to the tracks, you know, where the animal was pulling it or where they don't know what they don't know what powered it. Um, and were they using the wheel at that time or was it just like a sled? I just, I just had this argument um, uh, three hours ago. Um, because yeah, there, there's two there's two points here. One person has noticed that the North American Indians used a sled with they were two big poles kind of came off the back and they tie stuff to it, and that would leave drag marks, kind of like what you see on on Malta. Right. Um, they also, when you look at them, they just clearly they just look like wagon wagon wheel. I mean, it's just you know I'm not, I I lived in Colorado for ten years. You just get like the Santa Fe Trail. You just get used to seeing that, and that's what they look like. But they're all over the place, so they're just very hard to to gauge, but, but, um, Plato tells us that the Atlanteans, when they invaded, uh, into the Mediterranean, they made it as far as, and I don't know, I can't, I, I, it's like the Tetrahana Sea, what, whatever they call the water right there around Malta, Plato tells us the Atlanteans made it that far. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the only, it's one of the only places where the name is still the same. And so I'm like, okay, well, I, I got to, you know, just like we were just talking, I'm, I'm not submitting for peer review, but they wouldn't give me any of this information, but I've got to listen to people. I, can't, I, I don't know everything. So this guy likes Malta. It's named in the dialogues and it's starting to exhibit interesting characteristics. I mean, there's temples and, and, and megalithic construction there. Like you wouldn't believe. Um, so when I'm like, I'm doing that analysis, I'm taking all that into account. And then the question I'm saying is, was this one of the provinces that, that we're told about? Cause we get 10, 10 names, we had the names of 10 rulers, one of which was Atlas, who was the king of the capital. And then there are nine other places that have names we just got to find. The, the next part of your theory is that the, uh, that the location of Atlantis was actually in a landlocked, what's now a landlocked uh, location in western part of Africa. Yeah. Um, which is counter to what a lot of theory, theorists claim it to be um it's kind of what almost all of them claim yeah uh, but so we'll get into where you can talk about where that was but what i want to know is how did you come to find that location okay well i i, I didn't I, so i was you know i'm an old guy i'm looking your beard has a lot less gray in it than mine you'll get here but uh so you know i'm an old guy i can't sleep I, you know as a kid i loved all this stuff so one night i was flipping through youtube watching stuff and it, it offered up a video by this guy jimmy corsetti on a channel called bright insight and it was an old video. This was in 2018, and I was doing this maybe a year ago or so. Um, I know the channel, by the way. Good, yeah. good channel. Well, I like that channel. I like it too. And and I've talked to him. You know, I reached out to him. I've talked to him. Um, and uh, his videos went viral. With you know, they've got they've got millions and millions and millions and millions of views. Uh, and he's pitching this location, and I listened to it, and, and I was like, wow. He, I think he's onto something. Um, I didn't agree with everything he said. Uh, I actually, I do have a background in this stuff. Not only am I well-read, but I, I've taken graduate courses in ancient history and I, I really am very well-read um, and interested in it. So I knew he got, like he, he mispronounced the name Herodotus. He he showed a map that it, where I knew there was, wasn't a, really a map, you know, just little stuff, but his overall case was pretty good. So I'm like, you know what? Let me see if I can help this guy out. 
he's not asking for my help, but I think if we, if Atlantis has been found, I think that's important. So I went and I started re-familiarizing myself with it. And I came across this line right here, which um, is my unique contribution to this. The line is, this is from the platonic dialogue called Critias. And this, the guy Critias is talking, he's explaining Atlantis. And he's saying, the country immediately about and surrounding the, the city was a level plain itself surrounded by mountains, which descended towards the sea. It was smooth and even and of an oblong shape extending in the one direction, 3000 stadia. And I was like, that is a weird statement because all through this, the city is in the capital is, is the sin, you know, is where they're explaining from. So everything is, you know, you start at the center palace and you go 50 stadium assist. I'm like 3000, 3000 stadia slope to the sea. What, you know, that, that seems to suggest something that's different than everything I've ever heard. So then I had to go figure out what a stadia was. Um, and it turns out we're using what they call the Alexandrian measure, and it's six hundred and it's six hundred six hundred and six point nine feet. But I just do six hundred and seven feet because we're not in exact land. So you multiply three thousand times six hundred and seven feet, you get one point eight million billion something. You divide that by five thousand two hundred eighty, which is a mile, and you get uh, rounded. You get three hundred forty-five miles. So I just went to Google Maps and I measured how far the Rishat structure is from the coast and it's 345 miles. And that was where I said, holy shit, this guy's on, you know, that, that, that turned me. I'm like, okay, now let me look. And then I spent maybe 10 days just doing, I, mean, I barely slept. I just did nothing, but go through the dialogue, break all the pieces out and then look, 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 look. And that's where I kind of came up with that proof that you call a theory. Um, and I call a book. So the uh, let's talk about that Rishat structure. First of all, can you spell that? Because R I C H A T. R I C H. Okay. And anyone, if you're interested, just type it into Google and then go to the images. And there's the first page is just a million images of this thing. And the other thing, this Rishat structure, it looks like Atlantis. It's the only place for any document you've ever seen that actually looks like what's described. It's got a center. So I will I will agree to that and and say when I first saw that. Um, I, I saw, I don't know if it's on one of your videos or I saw it on an interview that you did, but there, that, that picture of the Rishat structure, it, 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 it like embodies the image in my mind yeah. that con that I conjure up when I hear a description of Atlantis. And then and when you go back and replay it on him trying to describe it. He's trying to describe something like that. And it's the yeah. only thing on the planet we've ever found that looks like that. We found like that people like Santorini because it's got a center island and then an outer ring of land. But Plato says there were two of those. Mm -hmm. um, he also tells us that after the cataclysm, it was the, the waterway was blocked by a shawl of mud. People mention this. Um, but you know, if it's an island in the middle of the Pacific, the the, or the Atlantic, the Atlantic Ocean is not going to be blocked by a shawl of mud. It doesn't right. make any sense. Right. Um, so it's got to be, it's got to be something that can, with, with, with a, like a river or goes between two mountain peaks, something that can be constrained. And then all the dirt from Atlantis, um, when, you know, after the tsunami came in, got pulled back and it clogged up the waterway now, but, and then I don't know what you've seen of mine. So basically, wait, basically, wait, before you get into that, I want to, I want to, um, okay. I want to go back to the Richette, uh structure because the second thing I thought, the first thing I thought, because we were talking about Atlantis, was, yeah, that looks exactly like Atlantis um, from what I've heard it described as. But then I thought that also looks like a crater. Yeah, for a long because time. Because it has these eccentric rings coming out from it. Yeah. 
uh, either a crater or um, I think you you said that um, that it could also be a collapsed volcano. The, the the current consensus, I believe, is that is that it's a collapsed volcanic dome. Okay, collapsed yeah. volcanic dome. That um, not not a meteor strike or. or For a long time, like people thought maybe it was an asteroid that it hit or something, or a comet. A comet would leave different, but but that seems that was the original belief, and it doesn't seem to fit in the volcanic dome. And 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 there there's volcanic activity in the area. Mm -hmm. so that seems to be the consensus. And by the way, either, we don't need either one of those for it to be Atlantis. Uh, uh, no, I agree. I was, I was going yeah. to say that also that, uh, you know, even even if that is how that that land uh, feature was created, that doesn't mean that somebody that it didn't kind of build up with with um, topsoil and waterways. Yeah. Well, over centuries. And then people came along and migrated and, and populated that area. So we know we know a couple things. We know Plato tells us that the center island had hot and cold springs. Well, that screams volcano. Yes. Absolutely. And then he tells us that um have you ever been to Yosemite? Uh no. I've driven or, by uh, it. Yellow, Yellowstone. Yellowstone, yeah. No, Yellow I've driven by it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I never went. Uh, but uh and then the other thing he tells us is they had to dig a canal from the outer ring to the inner ring, a hundred feet deep and three hundred feet wide. So the reason why you do that is because silt um collects right because the rain's coming down the water's you know so we know there was at least if they dug down a hundred foot you, you don't dig into the bedrock you dig down to the bedrock so we know there was at least a hundred foot of topsoil and that's all there is now is bedrock right it, it's it's, yeah, it's all down the, to bedrock there's another line here this is this is from the platonic dialogues this is he's trying to explain the aftermath of one of these um cataclysms and he says the country immediately about and surrounding the city was i'm sorry that's the one i just read wait here we go. The earth has fallen away all around and sunk out of sight. The consequence is that in comparison of what was then, there are remaining only the bones of the wasted body, as they may be called, as in the case of small islands, all the richer and softer parts of the soil having fallen away and the mere skeleton of the land being left. Yeah, that's a perfect but If that's not describing the Rishat structure, no. right? That's it. I, I mean, from my from my perspective, uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, but but here's the big thing. So and this Piri Reese map, I, I, thought, I don't want to lose the thought. So if you look at the Piri Reese map, and, and, and again, you just type in P-I-R-I-R-E-I-S into Google, and then there, there's all kinds of consternation on the left-hand side and the bottom side because they say it shows more about the New World and, and Antarctica, right? But there's also the coast so of Africa. Just to, just to explain what that is, that's a map that was written or drawn in the 15... 1400s, 1500s? It was drawn. So Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. This was like 20, 22 years after that. So okay. 1510. I, I, I should I should memorize the date. It's like 1510s ish. Okay. And it was um, Piri Reese was a Ottoman navigator, and he commissioned a map made from all of the ancient maps that they had. But he wanted it all boiled down into one map. And there's all kinds of problems with with the map because you know you are trying to whoever did it you know the, uh, it was trying to take things that you know and figure out where they went so like i think the amazon river is in maybe the opening the mouth is like in two places instead of one because they were trying to reconcile the maps and then some of the criticism is that some people think that uh like it shows florida and then it shows cuba but some people think that really that was a map of japan it's going the wrong mm -hmm. way um, but then when you get down to the south that's where it gets interesting because when you look at south america what the map seems to show is the water 400 feet lower. So it seems to show the continental shelf from South America as it wraps around to Antarctica. 
Um, now, some people say that, no, that's not what it shows. Just the people that made it were idiots and they ran out of space. So they just kind of hooked it around on the bottom. So, you know, like, okay. One of my other assumptions is, by the way, is that uh, just because you lived, you know, 10,000 years ago doesn't mean you were an idiot. So yeah. I, 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 the idea that they're idiots, I, I, that would be one of my last conclusions versus one of my first. But anyway. So what's the, what, what's that drinker's theory? Yeah, drinker's theory. Yeah. When, when confronted with mul multiple choices, people will always choose the stupidest one, <laughs> which, and yeah, but anyway, anyway, I, I just want to, so on this map, if anyone can go look, you look at the African coast, you look um, where the Rishat structure is, and there is a kooky little city sitting in a ring of water. Up a river where there's no river. This is the Sahara Desert today, and, and it was the Sahara Desert right? when the map was made. Yeah, and that so, river so, is blocked by a bit a bunch of mud. Right where yeah. there are big mud piles on the coast of Africa. So I mean, it's clearly the memory of whatever was there, and there it is. It's on the map. You know, yeah. again, and, we uh, cannot like well, it. But there it is. So even if it, I mean, even if it wasn't a city, even if they were showing that Rishat structure with those those chunks well, of they drew a, they drew a castle. They they drew. They, oh, if you look it at it, they, yeah, they drew. It's a castle, yeah. and it's sitting in a ring of water up a river. So how is that so an accident? Look at that Perry Reese, uh, Perry Reese map, map. Yeah. and and study it, and look at the west coast of Africa, and yep. you'll you'll find that little that little inlet, yep. the water inlet going leading up to a, a circle. Yep. And um, there's a so, big duck. There's an elephant. And a but duck if that was made in 1500, yeah, and that was basically cobbled together from uh, ancient maps mm -hmm. somebody so, somebody in 10,000 uh, BCE or around that time drew a map yeah well, uh, well, okay so one of the things about Atlantis that I have heard is that they had a really strong navy is that is that accurate we don't know that we it, it, it seems to elude to that, the, the big there's the, there's a line that gets ignored. I don't understand why this line is ignored historically, but when the priests um, are talking to Solon, uh, they tell him, uh, "Hold on, I've lost my train of thought again. I apologize. This no doesn't happen, but I guess it's because it's the end of the day." Hmm. What were we talking about? Uh, well, I was, we we were talking about period period um, the map, right? Per, was his Perry Reese map? Perry Reese map, yeah. And then, and then I asked you if if they so, so that map was cobbled together from ancient maps. So somebody from oh, okay. 10, I'm sorry. you know ninety six hundred. I, I parked these to, points away. Yeah, yeah. And I just okay. So the, what the priests tell them is that the way to Atlantis, they say it's outside what they call the Pillars of Heracles, which we think is the Strait, Strait of Gibraltar. But they say the way to Atlantis is also the way to the opposite continent. And there is an opposite continent. We I live on it, right. um, and, and but this is this is this is this is from priests in 600 BCE talking about a history from that was written down in 3000 BCE, and they know about an opposite continent. So this suggests all kinds of things. There's not a lot okay. more in there. I mean, he talked. The whole city is built for boats. He talks a lot about bridges and they built them so like one trireme can go under them and all that stuff. Uh, he says that when the Atlanteans attacked Greece, they came from the sea. That suggests boats. And then he talks about Atlantis being the way to the opposite continent, which suggests boats. But that's so it, it eludes like it almost like takes for granted the, the maritime nature of the society. But it doesn't really talk about it beyond that. But it suggests. And so people have blown that way up. They've blown that up into saying that, well, in order for this to work, the Atlanteans would have had to have naval capabilities like the Portuguese from the 1700s. It's like. 
I, I don't know about that. Um, but here's like here's, here's just talk about you talk about inconsistency. So there's an island called Crete, which is kind of the southern. It's 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 an island, but it's it's part of Greece, and uh, a lot of people like it as a location for Atlantis. I, I don't. I mean, it doesn't fit. But they had the, a Minoan culture there, and the Minoan culture is very exotic. It, it's a bull-oriented culture and all that kind of stuff. But when you start to do the history on that island. Um, we can get an agricultural uh, society all the way back to 7,000 BCE. So we're getting darn close to Atlantis time period anyway. But that, but this island, this island of Crete has been, had been occupied for like 130,000 years. Wow. Well, even when you, when you drop the water 400 feet, there's, there's no land bridge to this thing. So how, how do you reconcile people were there 130,000 years ago? They didn't swim. You can, it's not, no Olympian could swim to this thing. Maybe an Olympian could, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, you're not loading up your dog and, and your kids and, you know, your household supplies and swimming, in, you know, into the middle of the Mediterranean, right? So, so but no, how, so how'd they get there? And then, you know, you ask these questions to the people they're supposed to know and you kind of get weird answers of, you know, maybe they made a log raft. Yeah. Well, wait a second. I, you, you tell me I'm not supposed to speculate. You don't may, did they or not? You know, do you, do you know or not? I just I had a conversation with a guy earlier today, and I was we we're trying to agree because he kept saying there's no evidence for any of this. I, and I kept asking, well, what would you consider as as evidence? Um, and he couldn't, you know, it, it's always switched. I said, what about the wheel? Can we, you know, that like that that's like the most foundational principle to society ever. The is 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 there a mainstream view of the wheel? And he would he no, they, they don't, we don't know. It's like it's an easy invention and it was invented anywhere between you know, it 2400 BCE and 7000, you know, it's, it's just all squishy. And it's like, what's even the point of the conversation? Because you're just making it so we, you know, we can't ever decide anything. It's just weird. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was, I think it was a rant, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, the, the, yeah, that map brings up a whole different conversation. Maybe we'll save that one for a different that, time. That map's the key. So, that map's the key. That look, you look at the Piraeus map, there's a city where the Rishat structure is surrounded by water. It's just what Plato describes. And then the last one is Herodotus. It's, it's another guy that wrote. He wrote actually 100 years before Plato. He mentions the people called the Atlanteans in Libya, the remnants of a society in Libya. So we, you can start to triangulate this stuff. And there's this, and it starts to be something that seems to have been known um, in Plato's time. Yeah, that that's really interesting that these people, the, these Atlanteans, what that was, did you say that was, what year was that? Herodotus. Herodotus wrote like in the he wrote like a hundred years before Plato, so the, okay. the, the fourth century. So he's um, he's talking about people in three thousand BC. He's talking about people probably a couple hundred. He, what Herodotus is doing, he's the first guy um, who tried to be a historian for real in the Western okay. tradition. So he wrote this thing called the Histories, which is viewed as the first real you know attempt to write stuff down. And the first third of the book or so is like a travelogue where he just says, okay, you leave from Greece and you know, here's all, here's everything we know about the world. He kind of walks you around it. And when he gets to Egypt and his, and his stuff, it's like, okay, you go to Egypt, then you head West for 10 days. Then you head West for 10 more days. And, you know, so it's, it's that kind of stuff. There's no, there's no physical drawings, but when, when he takes you into Libya and he starts approaching the Atlas mountains, which is an interesting name for the mountains of Morocco, sure. yeah. um, because Atlas was the King of Atlantis. When he started approaching those mountains, there are people that call themselves the Atlanteans and, and they're weird people. They, they, they uh, don't dream. They refuse to write down their names. They won't let you write down their names or their king's names or anything. Uh, they don't eat animals. They only eat vegetables. Uh, they spend their days cursing the sun, and they live on piles of salt. And these are people that exist. I, I, I just you probably can't answer this, but maybe you could speculate a little bit. Why wouldn't people write 
down their history? If you if you had the ability or there was somebody willing to write it for you, why would you refuse to have it written down? Yeah. Look, I don't I, I mean, I could only speculate my, my if if these people are the remnants thousands of years later of a society that was destroyed, then maybe we can just assume some type of religious or whatever overtones came because maybe maybe they were really good records keepers and then and they got blown up. So they decided that, oh, you know, that's a good, that the gods got mad at Right. Yeah. yeah. The, big, the big thing for me, is they spend their days cursing the sun and every theory. Um, you know, you mentioned comet impacts or asteroid impacts or, you know, there, there was a tsunami in like 2011 or something in Japan. That tsunami shifted the Earth um, off its axis by like 10 inches. Yeah. Right. So whether it was something internal, whether it was a volcano, whether something hit the planet, if the planet, if, if our axis did shift the 23 and a half degrees, it shifted, it would seem like the sun's doing stuff and you might blame the sky because that's what you see. The mm -hmm. sky goes bonkers. You, you Everything you have is destroyed. You survive, you curse the sky, right? Because that's what you blame for. I'm not saying that's what it is, but if I'm speculating, that, that's how I'm trying to line up those ideas. Could the, So this happened at the end of the Ice Age. Yep. Could, could this all have been like because the sun heated up so much that it melted all the ice and this caused the calamity? Yeah, it could be, which is why I don't try and I'm, – I'm not a – ancient historical sun geologist or comet impact theoretician or anything. Mm -hmm. So it could have been solar flares. I, I see that theory. It could have been uh, the earth passed through a comet tail. could have been asteroids, could have been just massive um, volcanoes, you know, and it could be anything, but, but it happened, you know, whatever the cause of it was, the, the, the result of what happened is, is, is not disputed. Right. By anyone. There's, there's geological evidence to support oh, yeah. the, the, the uh, idea that that happened. Well, we know, we know the ice age ended and we know when it did. And then, and we know that the temperature rose like 30 or 40 degrees within half a year or less. We know that we know, we know all that. We don't know why this theories as to why. Uh, so I, 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 again, I want to encourage people to go to your channel. What is the channel? Uh, the, on YouTube, it's a history of, okay. Um, but you can always go to uh, frequency 99.com. That's the publisher website. And there's a link to the podcast. And okay. all that stuff there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not wrapping it up just yet. I okay. just wanted to, I, I want to interject that a couple of times uh, so that people understand that there's a ton of this information in depth uh, um, in video format to, to check out. Well, and I just want, I just launched a channel about 10 days ago. So anyone su subscribing or letting the videos play would be tremendously helpful. It's very hard to get a new channel launched. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a subscriber. Well, thank uh, you very happily. much. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, but so t taking a step back, I guess, back to modern day and um, how the study of Atlantis is so controversial, but also so important. Um why do you think your approach to solving this problem is, is so different than how it's been for so so many years? For so many years? Yeah, people ask me that, and and you know, and I, I get variations in that question. I'll get questions like, um, "What makes you so much smarter than all the other people that have looked for this?" You know, you know that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think that using a modern methodology, I haven't seen done before. I haven't seen anyone lay out their assumptions. And then kind of lay out, you know, what it is they're looking for. One of the things, if you watch the videos, is uh, I, I spend a lot of time on videos where I'm saying we just got to figure out, we got to figure out what we're looking for. If we're going to start looking for Atlantis, we have to define what we're looking for. And there, there's a city, there's a continent, and there's a kingdom. And so I go through the dialogues and I say, here's here's the the checklist 
of, of what it would mean for us to have found Atlantis, right? But I do that before I look. So a lot of people, you know, I, I think the people that do the TV shows, um, I think they have a different goal. I think their goal is to get on TV and have a nice travel vacation. And, and I don't think they're really trying to solve it. I think it's important. Um, and I'm, I am very lucky. I have to work. I, I own two companies, um, but I own them. So I can allocate my time how I want. So I can, you know, three o'clock, I can do a, I can do a, a podcast or whatever. You know what I mean? So I, I have the time to do it. I'm interested in it. I have a very unique background. We haven't talked about my military experience. I mean, I was in the army. I was part of the team that arrested Noriega. Um, I, I was a counterintelligence agent. So I have all kinds of what they call battlefield, battlefield counterintelligence training and, um, you know, information collection training. So I've got kind of the, that physical real world side of it. But then I've got I've got doctorate in engineering. I've got three master's degrees. I, I spent time in the academic space. I was president of university. I've got you know I mean so I, I I I'm pretty well rounded when I come at this, and I don't know that um, the other folks that have looked at this have always come with that kind of background. If if your hypothesis does turn out to be true and becomes widely accepted, what does that look like, and what does that mean for the world? I think what it means for the world is that all these suspicions we have about the Aztecs and the Mayans and um, Easter Island and, and Stonehenge and all these places now have context. They have historical context because right now they're mysteries. We, we, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of locations. And in every single one, we have to turn our brains off and, and pretend it was all built within the past thousand or two thousand years. And I just think if we can accept that that's not the actual history of things. Um, I think we're going to start noticing those patterns I mentioned, and we're going to discover that we have a much rich, richer history, um, and we've done many more things than we ever thought. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to some some people, that could be a dangerous scenario. Yeah, I, I didn't write the the newspaper article. I mean, yeah. they, you know, this guy, Graham Hancock, who's got a loud voice, they are flooding in with massive criticism of the guy. Um, and if you really dig into it, you know, he's just he's just basically asking the same questions. He's like, just like, you know, he's saying, go look at this. This doesn't look right. We should probably try and figure it out. And his basic premise is that, you know, our history might be older than we think. It's not dangerous at all. But there, there's and, and, you know, if you go back, if you're making a quarter million dollars in salary a year and you basically don't have to work, you've got lots of time to defend yourself. And that's what we're up against. Yeah. Well, and it's it it's not necessarily dangerous to the majority of people, but it could be dangerous to academia. That's what it's right. That, and it, it's, it is dangerous to them <laughs> yeah. for all those reasons we've already talked about because yeah, they, exactly. they could be discredited. Which in because in, remember in their mind they're they're not only the smartest person in the room in their mind they're probably the smartest person on the planet. Yeah. And so you you get a room you get a hundred professors in a room. 95 of them are sitting there thinking that they're the smartest person in the universe and the room. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing mindset. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, I know, so I know these people, I've, they've, I've had them report to me. I've had hundreds of them report to me. If, um, okay. So if, if, if it, if it does come out that your hypothesis is correct, uh, Atlantis did exist it was wiped out, and we can figure out what wiped it out. What wiped them out? Water, clearly, water. We, we, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, But, but was it a tsunami? Was it, you know, was it brought on by yeah. a massive rise in ocean levels? Um, is there a comparison that can be drawn between the the downfall of Atlantis and 
societies of today? Not by me. Um, I know, you know, it, this isn't a biblical study. I'm not looking for morality in this, uh, which is important because it's there. It's there to be found. Um, and, and it lines up, Atlantis lines up like a lot of the stories we have where people, the society got um, unmoral, whatever word you want to use. And so that's why it happened. I, I, I have no opinion on, on any of that. Maybe that's, that's why not... they didn't want their history written down. Because <laughs> of good parties, they're having good parties. <laughs> yeah. So party in town? I don't know. Could be. Uh, okay, so a couple of listener questions that I put this out to. Um, okay. Was there um, is there potentially any treasure or artifacts that can be excavated uh, once once this? Is... I think so. I think okay. so. So what, 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 what? So there's a couple things. There's the Rishat structure itself is beaten to bedrock. Um, and then uh, a couple hundred literally. years ago, well, yeah, literally, yeah, no, yeah, there's no, there's nothing left there. And then a couple hundred years ago, the French Foreign Legion was in that area. So there's a lot of French Foreign Legion forts that are kind of built on top of all of that. Mm -hmm. So what'll happen is someone will find that and they'll say, oh my God, I found a building from Atlantis. And then people will go, no, it's only 150 years old. So there's nothing, you know, but put all that aside. So there, there isn't, there's two locations that this guy, David uh, Stig Hansen and I have found that show massive sprawling agriculture um, and it's under the sands of the Sahara. So I'm not going to tell you where, cause we're still, we're still working on that, but th that's going to, and, and it's covered in what they call evaporites, which is the salt. So if, if the salt, the ocean water comes in, the ocean recedes and evaporates, it leaves salt, right? The, the climate changes from a temperate climate to what we have now, the desert, you know, 130, 140 degrees, that salt um, cooks, on the top of the ground and over hundreds of years, it turns as hard as a rock. Mm. And that pl the place is covered, covered in that. But I mentioned the Prairie map. If you look at it, you'll find the river, you'll find that kooky little city in the ring of water. And between it, there's a big duck. <laughs> and right by the duck's head are these mounds of mud. And Plato tells us that uh, the waterway was blocked by shawls of mud. He tells us it was the topsoil uh, from the city. And if you look at West Africa, you can find those clumps of mud up where that water way would be. Is and, it and it's, still it's mud or, or is, are these well, it's, like it's, it's piles of dirt now, but it's like, okay. like huge hundreds of feet tall. They're like, they're like hills, mm -hmm. but it's just, but it's just dirt or mud, you know, it, it cooked mud. That's what, whatever was there, enough remnants of it will be at that location. If we were to dig that we would start finding stuff. Nice. Um, man. And, and they found tons of stuff. It's, it's all consistent with uh, our understanding of what they call the pre-pottery Neolithic, which is the time period that we were in. So they're not finding pottery because this is before, we, you know, we figured out you could cook dirt and make pottery. Um, but we're finding a lot of stone tools and a lot of stone like vases and objects and just stuff made out of stone, which is um, what I think, we're going to find Atlantis, I think, from an advanced standpoint, is going to be on par with Gobegle Tepe, which we, we briefly touched on. So I think we're just looking for a Gobegle Tepe in the desert. These tools we're finding are consistent with that. We know the area was occupied. The other thing we know from the topology is if it's raining with this, with this Rishat structure is, it would be in the middle of a big lake. Like, and I mean like a big lake, like maybe 20 miles or 30 miles across. Um, and it'd be an island with a, a radius of almost six miles. So it's almost 12 miles from side to side. If you're a person and you see that, it's a fantastic place to go live. And we know there were people there, and, and, we, and we have an assumption that we can't assume they're idiots just because they lived before us. So I, I think a much harder explanation is, is to explain why Neolithic people wouldn't have found this wonderful place 
and started living on it because they're sheltered. They can grow stuff. The saber-toothed tigers can't get to them. No one can attack them. It's, it's a wonderful place to live. So why wouldn't they live there? So you know? just uh, what, another question that I forgot to ask you was yeah. the, the, the size of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. You said it, you said, did you say it was like five or six miles across? Or, so, or yeah, large, so he, get, he gives us all kinds of dimensions. Some of these have been confusing, but the he tells us the center island was five stadia across, um, which is about half a mile. You multiply 607 feet times five, you get whatever, 3,000, you know, about just a little more than half a mile across. Then he tells us there were um, concentric alternating zones of land and water, basically concentric circles. He tells us they had to dig a canal from the outer ring to the inner ring. And that canal was 50 stadia. So you do the math and 50 stadia is like five point, like five and three quarter miles ish. So that's, so that's the radius of the thing, um, which is exactly the radius of the Rishat structure. Then he tells us that they built a road um, from one side. And then from the other side, they built that channel I mentioned for, for the boats. And then when they cut the rings of land, they cut on the outer ring, they cut three stadia. So 1800 feet, the inner ring, they cut two stadia, so 1200 feet. And then the center one, they cut one stadia, 600 feet. Um, and we can find the outer ring. I, we can find that cut. We can find that 1,800-foot gap that's been cut out of the bedrock. So all those pieces start to up. He tells us other things, basic things. He says there are mountains to the north and it was open to the south. Look at the Rishat structure. There are mountains to the north and it's open to the south. I already mentioned, you know, the waterway and stuff. Um, he mentions, you know, King Atlas, Atlas Mountains. We've got that in Morocco, a couple hundred miles to the north. And it just, it goes on and on and on. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of data points. Pretty much anything physically measurable that he gives us, we can find there. And we can see it. Anyone can see it. It's, you don't have to have me explain something to you. You can just go look. When this information becomes, like, widely known, uh, not, not that it's not already, but when it becomes, like, on a, on a mass media um, scale, where it's commonly believed that that your hypothesis is accurate and people start flooding the area like treasure hunters or or ad hoc archaeologists what's preventing that from happening is there is there laws in place to oh yeah to the, the, more, the country is mauritania it's first off it's, it's it's a brutally inhospitable place i mean this this really is french foreign legion endless sea of sand 140 degrees in the shade i mean it's just a brutal location uh you couple with that the the government of mauritania has uh laws that they will through a government sanctioned tour in-country tour guide you can have someone drive you out to it, but you're constantly monitored. They usually, the tour guide's part of the government, and then they'll usually have one or two police cars that stay about two or 300 feet away that kind of follow you around. You're not allowed to bring a drone. There's seven checkpoints between getting into the country and being at the Rishat structure. At every checkpoint, they're going to take something from you. So what we do is we bring like cheap drones, like $200, $300 drones, or they, they like, they tend to like big camp knives. So we'll we'll bring ten or twelve camp knives, and then um, we you know we we that's that's what they confiscate at each of the locations. Um, but yeah, I mean it's but it's just hard. And, and this is I mean it's a it's a um, Islamic country. Uh, there's a lot of rules. God forbid you should like put a rock in your pocket and get caught with it at the airport trying to get it out. You know, so I don't think there'll be a rush like that. In fact, and even to get into the country, you have to coordinate through the president's office. This guy, Dave Stig Hansen, that's what he had to do um, to get there. So it's, you know, it's not like the U.S. We can, you can drive to Colorado and, you know, go, go 
to a camping store and get equipment and go start digging holes. It's uh, it's it's more brutal than that. What did the people? Uh, what what is it? The speculation. What is what did the people look like? Oh, I have no idea. You know, if he doesn't mention what they look like, but there was uh, there there was a record of people calling themselves Atlanteans. Yep. He does. He doesn't give. He doesn't say they have black skin, white skin, red hair, you know, white hair. The other thing is, um, I have to not have an opinion about that because what will happen is, if 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 I say they're purple, then people will start accusing me of being a, a purple nationalist um, and and propagating pur- purpleness. You're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So so it's not mentioned. It it's not important. Honestly, it's not mm-hmm. important at all to anything I'm doing. Um, they could have so. been caveman art. <laughs> they they couldn't have been Neanderthals, could they? I think they could have been there. Oh, really? There's um, the, although the end of falls, you know, we're talking, the end falls theoretically were pretty much died off by then. This is pretty recent on 9600 BC is actually um, pretty recent, uh, but there is a, a ghost DNA strand that is in the people of West Africa still to this day is not disputed. It's, this is academic science and it goes back 50,000 years and they mm-hmm. can't identify who the people were. Um, so I think when you look at DNA, uh, you know, we know we're, we're told all of us came out of Africa. So I don't know why we would then expect not to find the first advanced civilizations in Africa, number one. And number two, the people in the region have DNA that has uh, stuff in it that we don't know what it is. If they were to excavate those, those mounds, those mud, mud, uh, mounds or whatever, do you think it's possible that they could find bones of the people from that existed at I, that time? I don't know how long uncared for human remains last. If they last, if they last eleven or twelve thousand years, then absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you know, what 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 they're going to find. I, well, I just go back to Gobegli Tepe because because Gobegli Tepe is technology from this exact date, exact date, mm-hmm. and it's not that far away. So you know, it's it's kind of basic rudimentary. Not even really megalithic construction, but construction with blocks, you know, with rocks. And then um, it seems like they had a writing style. They, they mention uh, a plaque they had in the center island that had their laws and stuff on it. So I think we would find what I think we would find um, a Stone Age society that seemed pretty well organized and, and lots of had lots of stuff. Yeah, I think anything anything that is found is going to be exciting. Yeah, well, another part of my theory, because I'm going for the grand unified theory of Atlantis, is I want it to fit into current academic science. So, and 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 it, and it can, it, it it not a hundred percent, but it can like seventy five percent, and then we just have gaps we got we got to fill in. We are way closer with what's known in academia, not what's concluded, but what's known. It, the support for this thing is practically everywhere, and that's in these videos. That's that's what I'm doing. Like for example, the fact that Crete was occupied for 130,000 years. Well, that suggests they could get across water. Mm-hmm. So don't don't tell me boats weren't invented. I mean, cuz your your own your own science is contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that's all the questions I have. Is there anything that uh, else that you would like to add to the conversation? Um, uh, I I know we haven't talked about your book. I want to give you a chance to talk about that where people can buy it. I'll include a link in the description of the video. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've covered it all pretty good. Yeah, I, I've written like 45 books. Uh, they're about evenly split between fiction and uh, 
nonfiction. I, I consider Atlantis nonfiction. Some people might disagree with that, but that's how I've listed it. I'm I'm kind of leaning more towards the the it existed. I'm, I'm you, I think you, you I, have me semi convinced. I, I always say I'm like the Grinch who stole Christmas because our whole life Atlantis has been this giant Christmas box with just the most bestest wrapping paper and bows on it. And it's under the tree and we've been staring at it forever. We finally get to open it and we open it and it's tube socks and undershirts, right? Because that's what we need. So it, it, it's real. It existed. But the answer is much more rudimentary than what we had hoped. It's not a flying car. you know. So. Well, looking at it from a person from my perspective who who believed who didn't really even give it a second thought. Yeah. I, I think it's more exciting than that. I think it's, okay. it's a, an ancient civilization that was believed, you know, that most people believe never even existed. If we find out that that's true, that's incredible in my mind. That's a, that's a, a amazing Christmas gift. So you're far from the Grinch in my mind. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, good. You're the first one who's <laughs> thought that underwear and socks were a good gift. Yeah. No, I can always use an extra pair of underwear or socks. <laughs> That's how I am. I right. I mean, I can use more of the stuff, the better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you, the name of your book is Atlantis Solved. Is there a subtitle to it? Oh uh, yeah, the final definitive proof. And the book is a proof. I, I, I try and warn people. It's not. It's not a narrative. It's not a story. It's a. It's a proof. So basically, it just. It. it it's a brute force. It goes through. It. It sets the context. It identifies. It pulls. It introduces you to the dialogues. It decomposes them. And then it does all the analysis against the measurable pieces and it reaches a conclusion. I think yes. your, your YouTube channel is a valuable resource and, and anybody who's interested in the book should get the book, but also check out the YouTube channel, a history of. Yeah. A history of, yeah. Cause I'm going to do multiple things. The first season is Atlantis, but I'll do, I'll do something else in season two. But so first one is a, a history of Atlantis, but yeah, the channel is a history of, um, and I think the videos I'm working really hard on them. I think they do a very down to earth, grounded, easy introduction to this thing. That's very consumable, but also very interesting. Yeah. And I, I know you mentioned your background briefly. We, I, I didn't get into that because I wanted to dig right into the material of Atlantis, but if you're willing, I'd love to have you back on at some point in the future to talk about a lot more of the stuff that you've actually done and some of your other books, if you don't. Sure. Mind. Hey, I, I did. We can talk about the. I did the jungle training uh, school in Panama. It's Ten days. At the end of it, they cut the head off a boa constrictor. And you got to drink the blood. That's how you graduate. Um, I did that. I spent a week in the Dorian Gap. I, I spent six months in the Sotokaino Air Base in Honduras. Uh, 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 Pablo Escobar was flying DC nines full of cocaine and refueling them there, trying to get him into Texas. Uh, you know. So yeah, we I, all kinds of stuff to talk about. Yeah, I'd love to. And written five hundred books or something like that. I heard forty-five. 45. <laughs> still forty-five is pretty lot. good. No, that is a lot, man. Five hundred is my goal, but forty-five. Yeah. So this is just a follow-up to go over a couple of questions that I had after our initial conversation. The um, after spending about twenty-four hours thinking about it, I thought uh, I thought about the. Uh, the idea of you guys, you've already had one expedition or um, I, I, you've, you've had two expeditions over there already. Well, the same guy has gone twice. I, I thought he was over there over the fancy, but yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and do you have plans for future expeditions? We're trying to figure that out. Um, there's nothing else we think we can do just, um, driving around you know so we need to start coordinating this and we have a gap between 
the people that think there's something to look at and the people that don't. So what we're actually working on is building the, the context or the case that this, there's, there's stuff to go look at there. Have, have you, did you do any testing while you guys were there previously? Um, no, uh, but testing is a funny word. You know, there's, there's a lot, no one has done any testing there. You know what I mean? I mean, even universities, you can't, can't do much. We collected some samples because what I was interested in, what I'm interested in is the evaporites that are sitting at that spot, 10 miles to the North. And then that spot, it's like, it's like 50 or 60 or 70 miles to the South along that channel we looked at, because if that's, um, if those are evaporates and it's salt and we can prove all of that, there might be more information in there that we can learn. But, um, yeah, that, those, but we haven't done that yet. Okay. Uh, the, the, I guess the reason why this, this whole thought process about testing, experimentation um, that came up for me was I started thinking about the, the, the structure of the Rishat, Rishat structure. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Yeah, Rishat, yeah. Okay. Um, and it, it reminded me of not only the, the structure itself, but the surrounding area, that kind of eye-looking section, it reminded me of the Uinta Basin, which is where Skinwalker Ranch is located. Did it really? I haven't. I, I watched. Look, I'm I'm familiar with it in that I watched the TV show and I've you know watched some YouTube videos and and stuff on it. When you say it, it reminds you of it, give me what like what what reminds you of it? Well, the first thing that came to mind, like I mentioned earlier, when we talked was that is identical to what I would imagine Atlantis to be. Yeah, no, 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 that, yeah, that's, that's, it's got that going for it, which is, it, right. look, it looks like it, you know? My second so. thought, uh, uh, you know, on that, on that line of thinking was, it looks like a meteor impact area. That used, that used to be what they thought it was for, for the longest time. I mean, all the way back till, you know, our lifetimes, you know, more recently. So where the, was... where the two correlate is, uh, Travis Taylor, Dr. Travis Taylor, who was out there at, at Skinwalker Ranch for a couple of years, one of his initial hypotheses was that this, this whole Uinta Basin may have been created by a meteor impact. Right. So, and, and they're finding stuff under the ground that kind of seems like it could be structural. And I thought, man, if, if they were doing, if, if that Rishat structure was covered up, and you were doing like ground penetrating radar. Would it look like there was some kind of a structure underneath the, the ground? They did ground penetrating radar in 2019. Uh, and it's a lady, I forget her name off the top of my head. She, she's very famous. She's kind of the one that figured out you could use satellite images to find stuff on the ground. So, so she found a lot of pyramids and stuff in Egypt, which kind of made her. And since then, she's struggling a little bit to still be relevant. Um, she did the Rishat kind of when her reputation was on the decline, not because of anything she's done. It's just, we, we get it, you know, you, you know, and like I said, they found the, um, uh, foreign legion forts and stuff, but they won't, but they, they won't release the, the LIDAR data. Hmm, that's weird. So they're telling they're, they're so yeah, they, they threw us a bone, which is the, the they threw us what they, they, they pointed out things that are obvious, misleading and uninformative, mm -hmm. but obvious. And then we can't, see the data. So I don't know if they found my, I hear you know, in the wind, I'll hear that it's somewhere in those results. They did find stuff that was underground. Um, I personally don't, I, I think we're dealing with, with cavemen. 
you know, the, the Neolithic people, smart. They could, they could have, I still think they knew more about nature and all that stuff. You know, they were advanced in those ways, but I still think they were just people and they had campfires and they stacked rocks on top of each other to, to and put a roof on to stay out of the rain. You know, so I don't know that um, there's like a, there's, there's something that's going to be magically found that's going to change that. I think instead, if we, once we accept people live there at the right time and it fits this story, then we can look at what we already know differently and understand that Neanderthals, not Neanderthals, uh, just Neolithic people, cavemen, hunter-gatherers, you know, because I mean, they, they, they were on the planet for hundreds of thousands of years before they did anything. And, and according to our history, it was only 6,000 years ago that they decided to start doing something. Um, but this, so there's a lot of time with something to happen. A lot of the land on the planet has gone underwater that they would have been on because they tended to be coastal people. Uh, but I don't think there's, I don't think digging holes around the Rishat is going to lead anywhere. Uh, I think that mound that you and I talked about um, farther down, where, where I think that's where I think we'll find artifacts. And then the agricultural sites we've identified that go under the sand that are just sprawlingly massive. Um, I think there's stuff to find there, but that's not at the Rishat structure. I think the Rishat structure is just bedrock. It's just like Plato tells us. It's, it's the skeleton of what, what what was of the land, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, so some of the other ideas for experiments that I came up with, I, I just run through them because my mind started going into really kind of esoteric, really weird uh, thoughts when I connected it. And really there is no connection with Skinwalker Ranch. This was my imagination playing. If, I know that, but I'm intrigued. If, if, if there was, if, if we could find a, a connection with something like that, uh, that might be interesting. I, I, I don't, the meteor, um, th that, that the, the science has changed its mind on that. And now they think it was a volcano, not a, not a meteor. Right. Um, and that's pretty much the accepted view currently. So, okay. I don't know. Yeah. so uh, just do, and it's, I don't think it's a really expensive test to do, but uh, check for radiation levels. Yeah, David, he did take, he, he, he thought that um, mag, the magnetic levels might be interesting. So he took electro uh, electromagnetic. Well, mag, well, he, he said magnetic. I don't know. Okay. I don't know the difference, honestly, between magnetic and electromagnetic. Well, there's a there's some really inexpensive like ghost hunters use it e yeah yeah e elm or electro yeah they, e yeah e emf emf yeah electromagnetic frequencies so they scan for that so that's that was the next one that i was thinking uh radio signals just to see if there's any kind of transient radio signals happening out there i mean all the those things you can you can check for all those things just with a phone so yeah oh really really okay so yeah. the the reason that i thought about that is because you know these gigantic satellite dishes, radio satellites that they use mm -hmm. that are they're receiving. I wonder if that Rishat structure could kind of act as a radio satellite or a radio uh, telescope. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I know how they work, kind of, and I, I don't know if, if the current configuration would work, but with yeah. with more dirt it might have it's certainly it's, it's interesting you, your mind you did you 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 your your subconscious got a hold of you huh uh, yeah it really did man I, I went pretty far out there um <laughs> that's good though that's, good. that's why it's so fun that's what makes yeah. this fun yeah right. so wind speed humidity temperature throughout the day to see how vast the fluctuations in that stuff are that's kind of pretty standard stuff yeah um scanning the night sky with night vision goggles yeah, that's kind of interesting. Well, actually, 
because I mean, Skinwalker Ranch, a lot of the stuff they find is atmospheric. Um, and I will tell you, I don't think anyone has ever stood in the middle of this thing and looked up. Well, that idea never even to me, never even occurred to me too. To uh, there, I have a pretty good friend who lives here in Las Vegas who uh, thinks that he saw something unexplainable in this in the night sky. In can't remember. So it, it was a desert over in um, the Middle East somewhere, and I'm not exactly sure where he was at. Okay. But he looked up in the night sky with some night vision goggles and he saw something that he couldn't explain. Okay. Uh, and that's what made me, made me think of the night vision. Um, well, you know, you know what I, we can do is we can, we could do some of the Skinwalker Ranch style things, dig a hole and look around, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. Not, not on, not on any kind of major scale. They won't let us, we can't, we can't be digging holes in this thing, but we can certainly disturb the tops. It's not, it's not sacred. It's not protected. Okay. Um, so I like, uh, I like that. I hadn't even thought of that, but that would be very interesting. I agree. On the same kind of level is that infra, infrasound. Are you familiar with infrasound? Um, yes. It's, I mean, the, there are sound waves that are below our hearing level, but it can affect the, the, the physical body, the physical, okay. any kind of bio um, sensors that are in the area. Infrasound can be detected. Okay. Um, EEG and EKG readings of the bio, human biosensors that are in the area. So you you check their brain waves, their heart rate, uh, okay. along with their pulse, um, uh, their you know just to just keep a, a constant eye. Like if you were in Antarctica, right? They're going to constantly monitor, or you're out in outer space, they're going to constantly monitor all of your readings to see. If, if there's any fluctuations in that. Uh, and you could do that pretty simply with there's um, there's like these wristbands that you can get. Yeah, fit, Fitbits, yeah. Yeah, Fitbit, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then I thought that was the last one, uh, the, the blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen levels of, of the human biosensors that are in the area. Just yeah, we didn't do that. We certainly could. I don't know. You know, again, I don't... None of these, I mean, the, the one looking up, I, I can imagine that one. The other ones, I can't imagine results that would be very meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, but this, that light, but it, it be, they're easy enough to do. And then if we found some, you know yeah. I mean? It's because they're, they're very low, low effort. All of those. I, I, between a phone and a Fitbit, I think we could do everything you just said. Right on. Yeah. Uh, it would just be interesting to see, like, if there's, is there any kind of range of, fluctuations that's going on and what could be causing that you know is there any correlation between x happening and and y sensor readings right um you know like i said it's kind of far out there but uh, well i look dave's planning on going back uh okay. I'll, I'll shoot these things by him why not you know cool. and like i said i like i like the idea because I, I doubt he was out there at night i just it wouldn't occur to him it didn't occur to me but yeah maybe going out there at night might be interesting so he was not out there at nighttime. Oh wow! I mean, because these are all—they're all day trips. Because he's staying in the capital, and then it's—it's a hundred, a hundred fifty miles. He's got to drive, so yeah. it's a standard. You know, everybody gets up in the morning, five a.m., six a.m. There's all the stuff you got to do. Eventually, you're in the car. Pretty soon, you're there. Blah blah blah. You have lunch. You don't get arrested by the cops that are following you. 
eventually you come back to the hotel and you plan to go back, you know, to a different location tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just a rhythm of like a job. And the people that we're dealing with there are, they're working. This is, this is their job. They're like a little tourist. Saying that brings a lot more structure to what what they are, but they're, they're they're sponsored by their government and they're allowed to drive people like us around, Mm -hmm. whatever that means. Yeah, but being out there at nighttime, I think, would yeah. be amazing oh, yeah. because there's zero light light pollution out there in the middle of that desert. You could see probably, yeah. you know, and then I didn't even think about this, but you could set up a um, astrophotography. That's kind of what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, I mean, we'd have to stay. We have to stay up there with it because even though there's no one around, if we left something expensive on the ground, it would be gone. Other than that, when when are you guys thinking about going back out there? We're trying to figure it out. Like I said, he just got back last month. Um, and he wanted to, I guess the, he would, he felt like he was a little early. October was a little early. It was still incredibly hot. So I think he wants to go back like in March, maybe April or no, February, March. Would the weather be a, a more comfortable at that time of year? Yeah. It's, it's less hot. It's still hot, but it's, it's less hot. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's 90 instead of 140, which. What are the rules of like, if you wanted to go out there and stay for a, a couple of nights just to camp over. Are you allowed to do that? Everything is negotiated. This is an Islamic country. Everything is negotiated through the government office. And as long as you negotiate with them and they say, yes, there's lots of things you can do. You'll be supervised. You'll always have the person they assign to you, someone watching them. And then there's always like two people 400 yards away, watching the people, watching the people, uh, and they, they have said no, but not in like a, not like a, you know, no, it's, it's always, now, nah, you know, you can't, now nah, we can't let you fly a drone over it, but some people have done this or that. You can go to this position and look down, you know, so they're, they're, they feel, it feels like they're helpful, uh, but everything is coordinated. You know, you're very much at, at their mercy when you go out there. Okay, David. Well, yeah, like I said, is there any party thoughts you'd like to, to. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Yeah, Frequency99.com, where I would really appreciate help with the um, the new YouTube channel, A History Of. Uh, but yeah, that's, this is pretty much my stick. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I appreciate, 100% appreciate you coming on the program, the podcast, and sure. sharing your knowledge. Uh, and look forward to hearing more. And a very, very professional job. I really much enjoyed my time talking to you about this. So good job.